Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. Well, last Sunday, if you were with us last Sunday, we kicked off a brand new series in which we're taking the time to process through God's Word. In fact, in this series, it's not just what's happening here but the kids upstairs in E-Kids and the kids in E-Kids Junior, even the infants in the nursery right now are learning the same exact stories that you and I are learning today. But the purpose of this series is to help us move beyond just understanding that they're great stories. In fact, we're titling the series More Than a Story. But it's to help us to understand that these are truly applications to live by. So over the next several months, we're going to take the time to really press in, to really begin to peel away the levels in God's Word, to get to the very root. Lord, what are you trying to speak to our hearts? You see, I believe that every one of these stories in God's Word have been placed there for a reason. I don't think that when when God was speaking the word and they were writing it down, they were scribing it out, I don't believe that they were like, man, this is a great story. Let's add this. But I believe God was saying there's a principle for life. There's an application that we can live by. So I'm going to challenge you to be present as often as possible. Over the next six months, as we dissect the Old Testament and look at these incredible stories, I'm going to challenge you to be present, not just here in body, but be present and expecting things from God. Those of you that are watching online, I'm going to challenge you. If you can't be here in person, I'm going to challenge you as much as possible. Tune in and don't just watch snippets of the service, but tune in to the completion of the service and let God really begin to pour into your life as well. So today, we're going to do our absolute best to jump right into chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. Last week, we got to Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Today, we're moving into chapter 2. And here we find the creation of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. Now, as we look at the story of Adam and Eve, there are some incredible things that we can learn from their life, from things that transpired in the Garden of Eden. But let me take a moment and describe to you what the garden was like. Imagine with me, there are springs that are coming out of the ground, and that is watering the earth. There are trees all around, all that have fruit that's editable for you. So you pick it up, you take a bite, and Adam and Eve, they're strolling through, they're enjoying the stream, they're enjoying the fruit, but God tells them, there is one particular tree that I want you to steer clear of. There's one tree that you cannot eat the fruit of, and that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat of this tree, God says you will surely die. Take a look at what it says in Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of 
any tree, of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So right out of the gate today, let me talk about the elephant in the room. Some of you are thinking this. You've already processed this. Why in the world would God put a test right in the middle of the garden? Have you ever thought about that? He's made everything so beautiful. He has all of these trees and all of these things for them to enjoy. The animals are all around. The this, this, uh, water is coming out of the ground. Springs are coming out of the ground, watering the earth, trees and beautiful fruit. And yet he says, right in the middle of the garden, I'm going to place a tree that you cannot touch. For if you do, you will die. Why would he place this test in the middle of the garden? Well, I love how theologian Warren Wiersbe says it. He says, God wanted humans to love and obey him freely and willingly, and not because they were programmed like robots who had to obey. In one sense, God took a risk. God took a risk when he made Adam and Eve in his own image and gave them the privilege of choice. If you're watching online today, I want you to write in the chat, he took a risk. God took a risk when he created you and me. You see, it's one of the basic truths of life that obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings judgment. So let me ask, did they die when they ate the fruits? So, so here we go, Adam and Eve are there, they've got all of these trees, and one particular tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, and they partake of that tree, did they die in that moment? Well, not physically in that moment, but I want you to understand that the wages of sin is death. I believe this is a twofold death. First off, it's, it's death physically. The Bible says that every one of us have an appointed time in which we will die. We'll leave this physical body. Our body is only geared to, to last so long, and eventually it wears out. Some of you can say amen this morning. But we also face spiritual death. Because sin into the world, because the wages of sin is death, without some form of resolution, without some sort of intervention on God's behalf, we have no hope. Sin into the world. Because of sin, we now face death at some point in our lives. And I want to take the time this morning to read the account to you. So if you would, please bear with me as I read several scriptures to you, because I want you to hear the complete story of this moment when sin entered the world. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day, he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat, from the fruit of the, eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden 
that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked so delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. We'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any of all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until the return you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who lived. And the Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and Eve. Today, for the next few moments, I want to challenge you to really listen. Many of you in the room have heard this story before. If you grew up in church at all, you probably saw it on the flannel graph. You saw the little felt apple, and it was pulled off the tree, and the, the teacher moved the little apple and put it in Eve's hand, and Eve took a bite, and then she moved the little apple to Adam's hand, and he took a bite, and then you find them hiding behind the trees, and God is coming through the, the garden itself, and they find themselves naked. You know the story. But I'm going to challenge you to really listen carefully today. Because I believe that there are some applications that we can pull from this story that can help us in our daily walk 
with God. So five observations of sin. Number one is this. Satan will always place doubts in your mind. Did you know that? Satan will always place doubts in your mind. It said in verse one, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals in the garden that God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Satan's attempt here was to discredit God. Satan's attempt here was to cause doubt to well up inside of Eve, to cause her to doubt the truth of what God was speaking. Now, the word shrewdest literally means that he is crafty. He is sly. Our enemy, our adversary, Satan, is very subtle in his approach. He has a way of twisting or distorting and making things appear right, mixing in just enough false to make it believable. Look at this. He says, you won't die. You're not going to die, the servant replied. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan's entire platform is built around lies. Anything he can do to cause us to go off course, to go off track, to cause us to doubt the validity of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, stay alert. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, you better stay alert. Tap it in or write it in the chat this morning. Stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for our great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, here's what I want you to grab a hold of here. If the lion, if the lion approaches the prey, and, and the prey is there, but the prey is in a pack, what part of the pack is the lion going to attack? The weakest. So if the lion is going to attack the weakest, and Satan is referred to as a roaring lion, guess what? He's looking for the weakest to devour. So what do we have to do? We have to hide God's word in our heart. We've got to spend time in communication with God. We've got, to, we've got to exercise that spiritual muscle in our life. We've got to get ourselves in alignment with God. We've got to come to the place that we lean not on our own understandings, but we trust in God. We depend upon God. We rely upon God in those difficult times, like Ephesians chapter 6 says, when the battle is raging, when you've done everything to stand, when you don't know what else to do, when you don't know where to turn. Ephesians chapter 6 says, stand firm, clothing yourself in all that God is. Clothing yourself in the armor of God. I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to be straight up with you today. Every one of us are going to face temptations in life. 
question is, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Yeah, Satan's, his plan, he prowls around, his desire is to attack the weakling, to devour whomever he can. But here's what I love. Unlike Satan, unlike our enemy, God also has a plan. Come on, we learned that last week. God always has a plan. And Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that God's plan is to give us hope. That God's plan is to give us a future. God's plan is not destruction. God's plan is not death. God's plan is not for you to be defeated, but God's plan is to give you hope. God's plan is to set a future in front of you. The question is, will you follow God's plan or be consumed by the enemy? I want you to write in the chat this morning, if you're watching online, I have a future. This morning, look at your neighbor, tell him, I have a future. Why do we have a future? We have a future because of the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross of Calvary for us. Our second observation is this. Satan will appeal to your weakness. Did you know that? What, what Satan comes up against me with is different than what you face. Because Satan knows your weakness. He will do everything he can to dig deep into your life. Look what it says. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would bring her. And what I've discovered about sin is this. Sin doesn't start out as sin. Did you know that? It'll disguise itself as something extremely innocent at first. Something that perhaps is appealing to you. Something that perhaps looks a little attractive to you in the moment. Something that you are drawn to in that situation. You see, it'll begin as a mere temptation. But understand this, temptation and sin are not the same thing. But it's when we give in to that temptation that it becomes sin. Two truths of temptation. Number one, temptation is inevitable. It's going to happen. At some point, at some moment of your life, or perhaps even of your day, you're going to come face to face with the opportunity and the choice to step into temptation or to resist the temptation. Yes? Have you been there before? Every one of us have experienced that. No one is above temptation. No one is above the possibility and the potential to sin. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how mature you consider yourself. I don't even care how long you've been a Christian. You're still going to face opposition at some moment, at some time. Temptation is going to come knocking at your door. However, listen carefully, this does not give us an excuse to sin. Let me say that again. 
just because temptation is knocking at your door, just because you're experiencing temptation in your life, does not give you an excuse to step into sin. Eve had a choice. Adam had a choice. How are they going to respond with temptation? The second thing we've got to understand is this. Temptation is not from God. Have you ever made this statement? God, why are you doing this to me? Come on, have you? It's okay. You guys are like, I'm not answering that. No, many of us in the room, we've said that before. God, why are you doing this to me? But I want you to understand, there's nothing further from the truth. God will never place temptation in your life. In fact, look what it says in James chapter 1. It says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. God never tempts us, but we have a choice to make. So if God doesn't tempt us, where does the temptation come from? We talked about this several weeks ago. There are two areas of life. Number one, the obvious one, that that shrewd devil, Satan himself, our enemy, our adversary, he's roaring He's roaming around looking for somebody to devour. He's going to do everything he can. He's going to throw temptation after temptation in your path just enough to get you to trip up. But there's a second source, and really that's our old sinful nature. The Bible is very clear in the book of James. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us. They, they drag us away. They pull us away. These desires give birth to sinful action, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Did you see that? There's a progression that goes here. So we have the temptation, this battle that's raging on the inside of our lives, this temptation that wells up from that old sinful nature. And when you give into that sin, when you begin to embrace that sin, when you begin to allow that sin to grow, when you begin to allow that sin to mature in your life, that leads you to this separation from God. This leads you to this moment, this point of death. So you can either stand firm or you can remain trapped. The choice is yours. So how do we overcome temptation? I love what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 7. Man, if you stopped in chapter 7, the first portion, you would be so discouraged. Paul says, man, I don't even know what my issue is. There are so many things that I know that I shouldn't do, but those are the exact things that I find myself doing. And the things that I know that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I know that I shouldn't do, I end up doing. And I'm such a miserable person. Have you been there? You're so frustrated with yourself. I don't understand myself. Why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep running back? The Bible says that that a fool returns to his folly as a dog returns to its vomit. 
Why do I keep returning to the very thing that makes me sick? Why do I keep returning to the very thing that takes me away from a relationship with God? Why do I return to the very thing that puts a blockade between me and God? Is there any hope? Where do I turn? What do I do? And here's the part of Romans chapter 7 that I love. Paul comes to this realization moment, this aha moment, and he says this. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. When I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. I want you to know today that the answer is in Jesus. If you're wondering, how do I get out of this struggle of temptation? How do I come out of this struggle of a life of sin? How do I stop doing the things that I know that I shouldn't do? How do I separate myself from that? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of what he's done, the hope that he's given. Remember Jeremiah 29. We talked about it a moment ago. God has given us, he's purposed in us hope and a future. Observation number three. Sin will bring about shame. Have you ever felt yourself in that moment where you've given in to temptation? You just have stepped into what you know that you shouldn't do, and suddenly you are stricken with shame and guilt and sorrow. You see, that's what sin does. It brings you to this moment of shame. The same thing happened for Adam and Eve. It says at that moment when they took a bite of that fruit. By the way, we don't know necessarily that it was an apple. That's just been an easy picture to use but the fruit they took a bite of that fruit and in that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves realizing for the very first time that they were naked they quickly made coverings for their body shame set in can i encourage you today in those moments when the Holy Spirit begins to stir on your heart, in those moments when the Holy Spirit is working on you, leading you and guiding you, by the way, the Bible says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will guide you and lead you into all truth. And in those moments, rather than resisting and embracing the sin, why don't you turn around and embrace the news, the message, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and go in the direction that he's leading. You see, the sin that entered the world not only placed shame upon Adam and Eve, but for the first time ever, they were consumed with fear. Did you hear it when I read it a moment ago? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. 
For the first time ever in this environment of peace, in this environment of beauty, in this area of perfection, fear overcame Adam. But here's what I've discovered about fear. Fear is simply this, false evidence altering reality. Fear isn't the truth. Fear takes bits and pieces of this and that and it molds it together and it creates this false atmosphere around us. Suffice it to say, sin leads us down a pathway and a lifestyle that we were never created to encounter. We also discover, according to God's word, that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Come on, when Adam and Eve were first created, they didn't take their first breath and suddenly were overwhelmed with fear. God hasn't placed fear inside of you, but power, love, and a sound mind. God's placed stability in your life. He's given you no fear. In fact, this morning, if you're watching online, in the chat, would you write, no fear? God hasn't given you fear today. God has given you hope. God has given you a future. God has given you a sound foundation to stand upon. Look at observation number four. Sin will cause you to deflect blame. Have you ever been guilty of deflecting blame when you've done something wrong? Come on. Anybody? Would you be honest with yourself this morning? Like two of you in the house, thank you. If, you're, if your spouse raised their hand this morning, you know. Sin will cause you to deflect blame. Very seldom ever do we own up to our sin in our life. Oftentimes, we are quick to blame someone else. That's what we see transpiring in Genesis chapter 3. It says in verse 10, beginning verse 9, the Lord God called to the man, called to Adam, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord asked. Have you eaten from the fruit, whose fruit, a tree from whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, Why, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate. They suddenly jumped into this blame game. And there's three levels of false accusation that we see happening. Number one, they said God is to blame. The man, Adam, replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. It's as if Adam, and these words aren't in there, but I imagine this is the heart. Adam says, God, you can't blame us. You, you understand now that, that we're new to this life thing. We've only been around a short time. Surely you are the one that's at fault. God, you are the one that gave me this woman. You said, and I quote, it's not good that man should be alone so I'll make him a helpmate. How did that work out? Right? Come on. 
we always blame somebody. Somebody else. It's their fault. It wasn't me. The devil made me do it, right? You, God, you, you caused this. Well, the second is we blame others. Others are to blame. The man said, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruits. God, she did it first. God, she took the first bite. I just followed her example. It's not my fault. She did it first. Or maybe Satan's to blame. The Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate. Sure, God, I may have eaten the fruit, but did you hear what the snake said? He made me doubt you. He made me question what you said. Satan's to blame. It's not my fault. We play the blame game. The Bible says that we're to confess our sins. To repent. The word repentance means to be sorrowful for the moment, turn and go the opposite direction. To say, Lord, I admit that I've messed up. God, I've made mistakes in my life. God, I've done some things that I shouldn't have done. But Lord, I give it to you. The fifth observation is this. Sin always has a consequence. Oh, see, we could have gone all day long without this one. All right? We don't want to know about the consequence. God begins to list the consequences of sin. You can read about them in Genesis 1 through 9, 3, 1 through 19. But here's the biggie that we find. It's found in Romans. The wages of sin is death. Death spiritually. Death physically. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, death entered the world. Adam and Eve were then banished from the garden. Why? Because there's always a consequence to sin. But I thought that God was a gracious God. He is. That's why he can't handle sin. That's why he can't live with sin. God and sin can't coexist. There must be a punishment for those that desire to remain in sin. But here's the good news. You ready for the good news? God always gives us a way out. Come on, that should have been a moment that you wanted to shout amen or slap your mama or do something. God always gives us a way out. Yeah, there's consequences for sin. But God's made a way which seems impossible. But God willingly chose to make a way for you and for me. The wages of sin is death. We've talked about that repeatedly this morning. But if you go on in this scripture, it says this, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now remember, it was while we were still sinning that God sent Jesus to pay the ultimate price on the cross. 
And I love what happens in our story today. If you keep reading, you see after the conversation that God has with Adam and Eve, he takes a moment to express love to them. Look what it says. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had already taken fig leaves and sewn them together. But God said, no, 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 no. I've got something better for my creation. Some of you look at this, you think, Pastor, what's the big deal? God made clothes. So what? Why is that so important? Well, put this in perspective. They had just done the one and only thing that he, that he asked them not to do. He said, you can have full reign of the garden. You can name all the animals. I want you to tend to the animals. I want you to tend to the garden. You can enjoy the beautiful springs that come out of the ground. Enjoy all of the fruit all around you except this one tree. They had just done the very thing that he asked them not to do. But God in that moment chose to continue to love them despite their sin. God's first reaction was love. I look at us today and we read John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world. What was his reaction? That he sent his one and only son. Despite our failures, despite our shortcomings, despite our mistakes, despite us doing the very thing that he asked us not to do. God loves us so much. God loves you. Those of you that are watching online today, God loves you. So much that he sent Jesus to die. Now, yeah, there were consequences still for Adam and Eve. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God took away the tree of life because he knew that if they consumed the tree of life, that they would live forever. And what they'd experience here is the best that they would get because of the imperfect world. Again, God had a better plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says it this way. When you are tempted, he, God, will show you a way out so that you can endure. But here's the catch. When he begins to show you, we must begin to follow. If we go on to the book of James chapter 1, it says this. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. See, if you hear God's word and, and you fail to follow God's word, ultimately you're wasting your time. This verse goes on to say that we simply fool ourselves because of our actions. You won't be successful over temptation. But God says, let me lead you where you need to go. The first step to recovery in any program is to admit that you have a problem. To admit that you've fallen short, that you need help. I would say the same for us today. 
our first step Father forgive me I've sinned God I've made mistakes to own up to our actions to own up to what we've done to, to surrender it all to God to lay it at his feet and when we do out of love out of grace out of mercy God steps in the Bible says that if we confess our sins God's faithful he's just he'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness what does that mean He'll cleanse us of all the wrong of everything that separates us from him that he puts us in right standing because not because we're awesome not but because we've done anything right but because of what Jesus did for us that step of love that he set in motion for you would you pray with me today Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.